Open your Bible with me again this morning to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we are in chapter 1, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 11 through 24, 11 through 24, the title of my message is Why Apostles Matter, Why It Matters That Paul Was a True Apostle, that's the argument he'll be making uh, this morning, and uh, in verses 11 through 24, I'm going to begin reading at verse 6, so we just get a little better sense of the context. This is God's word. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached, excuse me, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God I do not lie." Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, I, th- I thank you that you've given us these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and you've given it for our in teaching and our instruction and training in righteousness. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Uh, Lord, may we be able to respond with gladness for the way that you've uh, preserved your word and given it to us that we might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our text uh, that we have this morning it might not seem to be... Um, that relevant to you as you come here this morning and you've had a busy week and your life is full of all sorts of different circumstances and it might strike you as somewhat irrelevant that uh, Paul is actually an apostle. But um, the fact is that uh, this message matters profoundly. What's on the table this morning is, is the gospel that you believe actually um, from God and actually true, does it have the authority of God behind it? We live in a pluralistic age where uh, everyone's 
there are many different religions, obviously, but we live in a postmodern pluralistic age where not only do, are there all sorts of different religions, but every person's truth is their own truth. Right? We, we sort of are comfortable with the idea in our society, creating your own truth. Well, in that context, it's very easy for Christians to sort of assume that our faith is sort of our truth. We, uh, it's just our tradition. And it's no different. It's not unlike any of the traditions or the faith traditions that you'll find in the world. And what right do you, uh, as a Christian, have to say to someone that they need to change their religion and become a Christian? That's a very offensive thing to say, but um, in the eyes of the world. But it's also something that I think even as Christians, we, we somewhat shy away from going there because, well, what right do we have? I mean, this is what we think. This is what they think. So, so on what ground are we going to stand to say, yeah, but what I think is actually true, and you need to respond to this? Well, that's the issue of authority. Do you have a warrant? Do you have a foundation to stand on? Is there actual authority behind the message that you have believed? Is this a message from God in truth, or is this just a message from men? Because if it's just another... Uh, actually just one faith tradition among many faith traditions, then let's be clear, it might be, you might like it, it might be your preference, but you have no authority either behind what you've chosen to believe is true, and you have no authority to tell someone else that they must believe this. You have no ground for it. So that's what we're looking at today. Because you see, if this comes from God himself, if this is actually a message from God, if the gospel is God's declaration to the world of how sinners must be saved through Jesus Christ, if, God, if this is God's message, then it comes with all the authority of God. It's not our message, it's His message. And then to, to reject that message is to reject God, and to receive that message in faith is to receive God. It's a big deal. It matters whether or not this is the true and authoritative gospel. Well, Paul is, um, is battling for the spiritual life of the church in, uh, in Galatia. Some Jewish Christians, as we noted last week, have come in uh, from Jerusalem. These are people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, but they have uh, come with a revised version of the gospel. Paul's um, when Paul planted these churches and evangelized these, these people, his message had been salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, for the glory of God alone. That, that was his message. The revised version got rid of the word alone. So it's salvation by grace and salvation by faith, but it's grace plus works. It's faith plus circumcision. Jesus plus Moses. Uh, that's the revision. It's just revision by addition. And as we pointed out last week, it was a compelling revision for Jewish Christians who had lost everything when they came to Christ. They'd lost their family. They'd lost their standing in the community. They maybe have lost their business. And so now to be told, you can have both your Jewish tradition and your, and your Jewish family uh, and Jesus. Well, that's a very compelling revision. But in order to lead people fully into this revised version of the gospel, the false teachers needed to undermine Paul's authority because it was evident that this, this message isn't quite the same as Paul's. And so they have to undermine his authority, and to do that, they undermine his apostleship. 
And it's not that hard to do. Um, we all recognize, right, that you can make the argument that Paul is not like the other 12 apostles. Uh, he's not like Peter or James and John. That they, they followed Jesus when Jesus was uh, carrying out his earthly ministry. They saw the miracles. Uh, they saw Jesus crucified. They saw his resurrected body. And, uh, and Paul, well, he, he wasn't there then. Um, so he was a second-class apostle at best. Uh, and his preaching, the teachers might say, his preaching is, is good, but it, it has this concerning lack of regard for Jewish tradition, for the law of Moses. He's not a bad man. He means well, but he, you know, he was a Pharisee once, and I think he's just overreacting. And so Paul's message is, it's, it's okay, but it needs a little revision. We shouldn't accept it just as the final word. And if Paul is going to win back these Galatian Christians to the true gospel, well, he's going to have to deal with the accusations. And that's what he does in verses 10 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's his claim. That's his central claim. It didn't originate with me. It's not my idea. I didn't come up with this. In fact, no man came up with this gospel. It doesn't have human origin. It has divine origin. It's, it's a message, Paul says, that I received from God through revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the claim. And, and, and everything rests on that claim. If that's true, well then the false teachers don't have a leg to stand on. You can't revise God's message. If Paul's message is actually what he received from God and is God's message in truth, in fullness, well, you can't revise that. It's God's message. You're not allowed to twist God's word. So everything depends on this. Well, how is Paul going to prove that point? You can just say it, but how do you prove it in a compelling way? Well, that's what we find here in these verses. The evidence Paul points to, interestingly, is the evidence of his own conversion. And in these verses, Paul um, explains who he was before he was converted, and then what happened when he was converted, and then the life he lived following his conversion. And we'll just follow that path. Uh, Paul points out first in verses 13 and 14, he reminds them of who he was. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul reminds them that Paul the apostle used to be Saul the terrorist. Uh, he was the zealot for the traditions of his father, so zealous that he was committed to doing anything he could do to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, including killing them. The best contemporary illustration that we could have, I think, for a man like Saul is a jihad warrior, Islamic warrior, right? You maybe remember a few years ago where you saw photos of 30 Coptic Christians, uh, men kneeling on the by the side of the sea in orange robes, and they're about to be killed by their captors. Well, Saul was one of those captors. This is what Saul did. Uh, he killed Christians. He, he had people thrown into prison. Uh, he consented. So remember when Stephen was stoned, Saul, Saul was there holding the cloak, the robes, uh, so that men would be uh, freed up to hurl the stones. He's a terrorist committed 
uh, in his hatred of Jesus to destroying the church of Jesus. And he's doing this convinced he's doing the will of God, right? An Islamic suicide bomber walks into the crowded marketplace and prepares to pull the trigger in the conviction that this is pleasing to the Lord, to Allah. Saul had that same conviction. He was convinced that what he was doing was uh, for the glory of God, was that, that God uh, was happy, that, that the smiling face of the, the father of Abraham, the God of the father of, of, of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God of Israel was delighted with what he was doing. That was Saul. Well, why does that matter? John Stott points out, a man in that emotion, mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or to have it changed for him by men. You're not going to hand Saul the terrorist a tract and, uh, and maybe in a short conversation convince him that he's actually wrong. He is way too deep into uh, the, the deception of the devil. He's way too into his, in, into his religious pride. He's not going to give that all up with a short conversation. The only thing that's going to be able to change a man like that is the power of God, and that's exactly what happened. And so Paul tells us, reminds us about his conversion, verses 15 and 16. There's a wonderful change of, word, of, of, of nouns here and pronouns. When, when Paul's talking about uh, verses 13 and 14, remember who I was and what I did, I, 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 here we go to what God does. What God did. But when he, God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul points out God's sovereign choice and selection, his uh, predestination of, of, of Saul, the terrorist. He, God, set me apart before I was born. Uh, Paul was not a Christian by accident. He was not an apostle by choice. He didn't volunteer for it. He wasn't sort of looking for a career change. He was happy with his career. But he ran into a sovereign God. A God who had set him apart before he was born. This is language you'll find in the Old Testament used for prophets. So Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. A God, you'll find this throughout the Bible. God's official messengers are never volunteers. They're divinely appointed and then sent, his official messengers. In fact, one of the, uh, the things that God will say about false teachers is, I didn't send them. They have no warrant. But true teachers are men sent appointed by God for this task. Well, God not only chose him, but the, those he predestines, he also what? Romans chapter 8. He also calls. And so God called Paul, who called me by his grace. And what a story that is. Uh, what, a, what a story of grace. As Saul the terrorist is on his way to Damascus in order to kill and imprison the, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ, um, he suddenly has a revelation of Jesus. And Paul says that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. So God, who does whatever he pleases, doesn't he, was pleased, as, as astonishing as it sounds. I mean, I want you to hear this 
with the ears of someone who, um, you're a family where your father has been dragged out in stone because he believed in Jesus or, or has been thrown into prison. You've not seen him since. By Saul, the terrorist. And, and, and now God pleased to save that terrorist. When, when in, your, in your flesh, you wanted nothing more than God to, uh, to condemn that, uh, that man, to destroy him, to throw him into hell. That's, that's what you felt justice required. But God doesn't work on our terms, and he converts Saul the terrorist. And it's the most amazing way. Saul is on his way to Damascus, uh, driven by his, his hateful mission, suddenly uh, there stands Jesus. This is the, the Jesus that Paul was convinced was a lie. Uh, Paul was convinced that the story of his resurrection was a fabrication. It was a myth intended to mislead Jewish people into believing that the Messiah had come. It was all a lie, and Paul's mission was to stomp out the lie. And then the man he thought was a lie was standing in front of him in all of his resurrected glory, asking him a question. Why are you persecuting me? How do you answer that question? As a, right? I mean, Paul's entire world explodes in a moment. It just, it just, it's decimated. Dust and ashes. As the living Jesus stands in front of him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And he says it in all the refulgent splendor of his glory in his glorified body. Well, Saul says, when that happened, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And it's not just to me, but the Greek here is in me, actually, so that, that Paul said, I didn't just see Jesus. I, I, Jesus was revealed in me. The truth of who Jesus was became so powerfully, clearly irrefutably evident to me there's no more there's no arguing with this and Paul in that moment believed in that moment Saul the terrorist dies and Paul the apostle is born by the revelation of Jesus Christ which is what happens you see when you become a Christian um, when you become a Christian become a Christian is to see who Jesus really is and not just to see it intellectually but to receive that into your soul that you receive the truth that he is the son of God come to this earth you believe that it's been revealed to you you're convinced of its truth and that he died for your sin that he was risen from the dead by the power of God and now seated at the right hand of God and he's coming again. You believe those things. They're not just stories you've heard, but it's a truth that you're convinced of for yourself. Jesus has been revealed in you. And when that happens, and as you, as you continue to grow in that conviction, your life changes. Well, Paul's life changed dramatically, radically, in a moment as he sees Jesus. And so his point is simply that, that uh, I did not volunteer to be an apostle. Didn't sign up for this. It is all of God. And then Paul points to what happened after his conversion. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go down to Jerusalem in order to sit at the feet of Peter, James, and John. What he did is he went into the wilderness to sit at the feet of Jesus. For three years, he went 
um, in isolation. He doesn't tell us exactly where, somewhere in Arabia. But he says uh, he was there uh, by himself. He's not being taught by someone. Um, most commentators uh, believe, and I think this is exactly right, that what Paul did is um, he would have much of the Old Testament scriptures memorized as a Pharisee. Maybe he had access somewhere there in Arabia to the scrolls. And what Paul was doing was rehearsing everything that he knew from Old Testament scriptures and reading it now in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. One commentator said that Paul spent three years preparing to write the book of Romans. You remember that when you read about Paul's ministry, he would go to a town and he'd go to the synagogue and he would argue, reason from the scriptures that Christ was the Messiah. And so I believe in these three years, Paul was going back through his Old Testament. And can you imagine what that experience was like? These scriptures that he had once prom- uh, uh, had said that he loved and believed, now he's reading them and he's seeing Jesus everywhere. By the Holy Spirit and by the revelation of Jesus Christ, he, well, when the prophet says, a virgin shall conceive, well, that's Jesus of Nazareth. And there's a suffering servant that Isaiah talks about in chapter Well, that's, that's Jesus. Right? And over and over, as Paul is reviewing his Old Testament, Jesus is jumping off the page. Maybe you've seen one of these, uh, these pictures. I don't remember what they're called. But it, when you look at it originally, it's just sort of this, this intriguing blur of, of shapes and colors. Uh, it doesn't look like anything. But if you learn to look behind the colors... Right? You look through it in a sense, suddenly what pops out is a 3D image of something. That's Paul's experience as he's, as he's in the wilderness. Suddenly Jesus is just popping out on, on every page. I, I can only imagine, Paul is not a sort of a docile man. I, 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 I can imagine him just, just getting up and walking around. I just can't believe this. I just I can't believe this. He's there, and he's there, and he's there. It's all about Jesus. That was Paul's seminary training. It's a very, very good training. Um, And so Paul wants him to know, I didn't go and receive it from the apostles. I went to Jerusalem, and I saw Peter for two weeks, uh, ran into James, but I was there to get to know the brother. I, I was not there to sit at his feet. And then I was back off and, and, uh, and the only interaction really that he has from Christians is their shocked response, verse 22 or 23. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So the radical transformation of, of Saul the terrorist into Paul the apostle, it's one of the greatest miracles of the church and it's clear Paul did not receive his gospel from men. He received it from the Lord. Now, why does that matter? I mean, you, tomorrow you've got to go back to the same work and same responsibilities and duties. And so, all right, that's interesting, but who cares? Well, let me tell you why it matters. First, it matters because it means then that when we believe what the apostles have written... We are believing what God has given. The the Christian faith is not just the Christian faith, it's the apostolic faith. 
that God gave the apostles in order to explain the meaning of the Gospels, if that makes sense. So if the Bible just ended with um, John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Bible just ended there, we would not have the whole message that God intends to give. He gave the apostles to interpret and explain what the Gospels mean. So if you cut the Bible off after John, you don't have the whole story. Jesus intends for the apostles to be, their, their teaching to be the foundation of the church. So in Ephesians 2 verse 19, Paul says, You, the church, are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So as the prophets of old and the apostles in the New Testament, as they point to Jesus, the cornerstone, they are establishing the foundation of the church. That means that the apostolic message is necessary and it is the true gospel, right? It's the whole story. And that when we receive that, we actually are receiving what God has given. That's the point Paul's making. Now, you can reject that and say, no, I just think this is, you know, it's just Paul's ideas. You can say that. Paul himself is seeking to refute you soundly. But, but what, what we believe, what the Bible teaches, is that the apostolic faith is a true faith, and it is the message from God. So the only reason you should believe it is because it's from God. Don't believe it just because your parents believed it or your grandparents believe it or your friends believe it or your pastor believes it. It's not sufficient reason. Is it true or is it not true that this is the very living word of God and this gospel is God's gospel? Is that true? And if it's true, if it's God's gospel, then what impact is that going to have in your life? Are you going to own it then as God's gospel? Submit to it as God's gospel? Rejoice in it as God's gospel? And defend it as God's gospel? When J. Gresham Machen was battling with the liberals and the progressives of the church 100 years ago, uh, he repeatedly pointed to the discrepancy between their religion and Paul's religion. So their religion was, um, we need to encourage people to adopt the ethical values and morals of Jesus, to live like Jesus lived. And Machen would say, well, that's interesting, but that's not what Paul says. Paul is not trying in his letters to get you to adopt the ethical values of Jesus. Paul is trying to get you to believe in Jesus so that you might be reconciled to God. We implore you, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be, be made righteous. That was Paul's message. And, and Machen's point was simply, if you're going to have a different message, well, you have to call it a different name. Paul gets dibs on the word Christian. So you just call your religion something else. Call it liberalism. Call it modernism. Call it whatever you want to call it. Just don't call it Christianity. Well, it's very clarifying and helpful. When the emergent church came along, right? One of the litmus, one of the things that first concerned me is I, as I'm listening to the emergent guys talking about uh, the value of doubt. And, and, and we need to get rid of doctrinal distinctions. We need to stop drawing lines. We just need to sort of embrace people. As I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound like Paul. 
That's not what Paul says. Does it sound like Paul? So whatever movement comes to the church, if, it's, if, it's, if someone comes through and he's preaching you know, um, family values as the essence of Christianity, well, you just need to open up your, your, your New Testament to the apostolic letters and say, well, is, is that what Paul's all about? Is he, is he just trying to install family values and build up a society that way? Social justice would be the same thing. Is that, is that what Paul's about? If we just need to right the wrongs in our world, of course we need to, be care, we can, we need to care about family values. If you, don't, if you don't care about that, then you're missing... Right? The Bible clearly speaks to families, and the Bible clearly speaks to justice. But what's the message, the faith, that is when once handed down to the saints? It's a very distinct message. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Right? It's a, it's a very straightforward message. That God has uh, given Jesus to us, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. We have to be just with laser clarity focused on that apostolic message. It's the only message that has authority. And then our mission, right, has to have apostolic warrant. What is our mission in the world as the church of Jesus Christ? What are we here to do? Uh, Just help our kids be civil and, and moral? Are we here to help people find fulfillment, uh, to provide a place for community, to make this world a better place, restore traditional values? What's the mission? Well, the mission, friends, has to be the apostolic mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ as we proclaim Jesus in all his saving power and glory. The mission has to be to reveal Jesus to a lost world. Because, you see, friends, that mission is the only hope for a lost world. Right? There's no other hope for this lost world than this gospel and this Jesus. And it results in the glorifying of the name of God. And we'll close with that. So what was the end of Paul's conversion? Well, they heard that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith, and they glorified God because of me. The apostolic faith and the apostolic message and the apostolic mission matters because it comes from God and it redounds to the glory of God. That's why it matters. Friends, we have a foundation to stand on. We have a message to speak. We have a mission to be engaged in because the apostles were actually messengers from God. Let's live like it's true. Amen. Oh God, our Father in heaven, you are the living God and you are a speaking God and you raise up messengers. Thank you, Lord, for the apostles. Thank you, Lord, that you have appointed them, you appointed them to to communicate to the church throughout the ages the, the realities, the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that we have this in as a light for our feet and a foundation for our faith. I I thank you, Lord, that we have this as a motive for mission. That this is the gospel that's been given to us from God himself for our own salvation, for the salvation of our children, the salvation of our neighbors and co-workers and, and the friends that we share this with, that this gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes and that we can speak it without flinching because it's not our message, it comes from God. 
Lord, embolden us. I pray that we would be able to see clearly what is the true gospel and what are our revised versions of the gospel in the world today. Father, I just pray that we'd be an apostolic church that holds to an apostolic faith, an apostolic message, an apostolic mission, so that you receive the glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Verses 1, 3, and 5, the church's one foundation.